0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting
1: a series of programs on the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast, In the previous broadcast, I was explaining that the healing of the man had the purpose of giving Jesus the opportunity to speak to the people directly at the temple, that it was through the healing of the man on the Sabbath day That it was through this healing that Jesus had the opportunity to present his messianic claims to the leaders, the elders, the people in the temple in Jerusalem. And that this was the real purpose to me for this healing. That it was wonderful that he healed the man who needed mercy. That I certainly do not want to depreciate that in any way. But what I do want to do is explain what happened afterwards, and what happened afterwards was that Jesus had a major confrontation with the leadership in Jerusalem. In the previous program, I explained that they were persecuting Jesus because he healed the man in a situation where the man's life was not in danger. They did permit healing on the Sabbath day only in the event that someone's life was in danger, and because the man's life was not in danger, Jesus could have waited until the following day to heal the man, This was, in their opinion, in their beliefs, this was a violation of the Sabbath law. Now, they were persecuting him, they were upset with him about this, but they did not have witnesses who would testify against the Lord Jesus and claim that he violated the Sabbath law. They had no way to officially execute judgment on Jesus because they had no real witnesses. Jesus defends himself in the midst of this situation. He does defend himself by explaining that it was God who did the healing, that it was a divine healing, that this person may have been disabled because of their sin, which according to the Pharisees' belief would mean that this was not a matter of a natural consequence, but it was a divine judgment that was executed on this man, and Jesus makes use of that And explains that this was a divine healing, that it was the living God, it was the Father who did this healing. And so if they want to pass judgment on Jesus for being the person who God worked through in order to heal this individual, then they are actually passing judgment on God. And then he follows it up by saying that he is the one who is going to judge them that they may think they are really impressive passing judgment on him because he does not observe the Sabbath day as they claim that he needs to. They may feel that they are quite impressive or that they have the authority to pass judgment, but he is the one who is going to pass the ultimate judgment against them. So I believe his defense was very short-lived, and he immediately moved into a position of explaining to them that they had nothing on him, that they had nothing to go on, that they were not the ones who he was subject to, that they were the ones who were subject to him. That's a very important point that I wanted to bring out in the previous program. I'm explaining it again in this program in order to follow through and explain what happens next. After this, the Lord Jesus speaks about the life and death issue even more. Now, again, the Pharisees claimed that a healing could occur in the event that it was a life and death issue. The Lord Jesus then uses their concern with regards to a life and death issue. He uses that to explain that he is there to give life. He is there to set people free from death. But, of course, this is not just a matter of the physical death being resurrected so that you can live here on earth a little longer. He's referring to the spiritual death and the spiritual resurrection, that there is a spiritual death that everyone here on earth experiences just because they were born in the image of Adam, born into this world, spiritually dead, without the presence of the Holy Spirit indwelling within them, that everyone is in that condition, and he is here He was here for the purpose of setting people free from this condition by restoring to people, by making available to people, by giving freely a free gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit that had been lost in Adam. He is using this opportunity to explain to them that while they are preoccupied with a life and death issue with regards to healing, whether or not somebody can be healed on the Sabbath day, that they are preoccupied or they are concerned about a life or death issue here on earth, but he is concerned and he is here to address the ultimate life and death issue of all eternity, that that is what he is here for, that that is his purpose, that that is what he is doing. I'm going to begin in John chapter 5 verse 19 where It says that Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. So he gives his defense that it is actually the Father who is doing the work, and that he is only being used by the Father. That yes, he does the work, but... If there was to be any recognition of what it would take to set someone free from a divine judgment, it would definitely have to be a manifestation of the divine himself. In verse 20, he said, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. In other words, Jesus has a personal, interactive relationship with the Father that they do not have. They do not have this Interactive relationship, this is revealed right here, right now. And in addition to that, it's not over. There's more. The Father is going to reveal more to the Son, and they are going to marvel, even more than how they are marveling right now. In verse 21, "...for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes." Here he confronts them with the fact that the Father will raise people from the dead and so he will also, the Lord Jesus, will do so also. This is a statement that says that he is the Son and that he has been given the divine authority to resurrect people, which means, in effect, that he is divine they would have understood exactly what he was saying. This is how they would have perceived what he is saying. He is saying that he is the divine presence of the living God, manifested in the flesh right before them, in front of them, manifested as a person who has the name Jesus, and he is the Lord. He continues in verse 22, "...for not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son." Now, that further emphasizes the fact that Jesus is the living God, that he is the divine presence, that he is the one who will pass judgment, that they may feel that they're really impressive passing judgment on him because they think he has broken the Sabbath law. But the fact is, is that he is the one who is going to judge them on all matters And his judgment will be the ultimate one, the eternal one. In verse 23 it says, So that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. Well, to honor the Son in the same way that you honor the Father is to say that the Son is the Father, which is correct. The Son is the Father. He is the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Again, Jesus makes it very clear that people have to pay attention to his words, that people have to believe his words, because if they don't believe him, then they will not have eternal life. All they have to look forward to is judgment. That's it. Jesus says at the end of verse 24, but has passed out of death into life. Those who hear him, those who believe him, those who will embrace him, those who will receive what he came to give. Those are the ones who will pass out of death into life. Who are those who are in death? Everyone is in death. Those who have already died physically and those who are alive and have not yet died physically, but they are all dead. And when you pass... From death into life, then you are not in the realm of death anymore. When Jesus makes this claim, He says, look, you people are concerned about preserving life, but I'm telling you that you are all dead and you have not even entered into life. Jesus entered into life because He was the manifestation of the living God. The life of God was there within him. And because of that, he was not subject to the issues, concerns, or laws that were given to those who were dead. He has passed out of that. He is not part of that. And those of us who believe in Him, and those of us who trust in Him, and who embrace Him for who He is, and who receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, we are alive to our God. We have passed from death into life, and as far as the world is concerned, we are no longer alive to the world. We are now dead to the world because we are alive to our God. And because we are dead to the world, we are also dead to the laws that the world is subject to, again, because we have been resurrected, we are dead to the world, and we are dead to the laws that our God has given to the world to govern the world, to judge the world. We are no longer subject to the laws that are given to the world. That includes the laws of Moses. We are dead to that if we have been resurrected. We are dead to that. We have passed away from that. We have no part in that. We now live in a newness of life that has nothing to do with those issues. We have been set free from all of those things. And Jesus gives us an initial example of the freedom that we have now. He showed us by demonstrating that he can do the work of healing on the Sabbath day. And so we also can do the work of healing on the Sabbath day. But the work of healing that he has called us to and that he is doing is a work of healing a person who is dead, a dead person. And the only way that a dead person can be healed is if they are resurrected, if they are brought back to life. And the only way that a person can be brought back to life is through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And the only way that a person can receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is if they receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit, from the living God himself who is offering it to us. And the only way that the Holy Spirit will reside within us permanently and will never leave us and never forsake us, the only way that that can ever happen is if the sin issue comes to a complete end. And the sin issue came to a complete end when Jesus died on the cross. So there is no sin that will ever be held against us. And there is no law that can claim or define any sin That can be held against us because the sin issue is over so that he can restore to us the spirit of life that had been lost in Adam so that we can be resurrected from the dead and we can walk in a newness of life. And there is a newness of life that has nothing to do, nothing to do with sin or death, but has everything to do with living with our God. And experiencing a relationship with Him so that He can show things to us as He showed things to Jesus. As the Father showed Jesus what He was doing, so He now can show us what He is doing. And we can participate in what He is doing as Jesus participated in what He is doing. And that is the new life that you have been resurrected to if you have received Jesus for who He is and you have received what he came to offer. Continuing in verse 25, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Who are these dead? Well, it is those who are in the grave, certainly, but it is also those who have not yet gone to the grave. Those who were there. Everyone has heard his voice. Everyone has had an opportunity to respond. And those who will hear... Hear in the sense that they will hear and receive, not hear and reject, but hear and receive and they will live. They will be resurrected. When? They will be resurrected when the Holy Spirit is restored to humanity. But if they will receive him now for who he is, I believe that those who died before Jesus died will be resurrected and he will be a good judge concerning that matter. Continuing in verse 26, he says, For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself, and he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. The expression the Son of Man is an expression presented in the book of Daniel concerning the Messiah, concerning God manifested in the flesh. In verse 28, he says, do not marvel at this. Well, how nice of him to say that. He says that they are going to marvel even more than how they are marveling now. And he says, hey, don't marvel at this. In other words, don't just marvel. Believe, trust, embrace. He says, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Okay, so he does also describe the importance of recognizing the people who are not alive right now, that those who have died before are also going to be resurrected by him and they will be judged, just as those who are hearing him right now who are hearing him today, who heard him during the time when he was ministering, these people who he was speaking to directly, everyone is going to experience judgment. And what will this judgment be? He says what this judgment will be. He says that people will be judged on the basis of their deeds. Those who did good deeds will experience the resurrection to life, and those who committed evil deeds, the resurrection of judgment. But which one are we going to receive? Let me ask you something. Is there anyone who has done enough good deeds in order to be resurrected to life? The answer is no. So why would he say this? Because they didn't believe that. They believed that if they did good deeds, if they did enough good deeds, let me put it to you this way. They believed that if they repented from their sins enough, and they were obedient to God's commandments enough, that they would be resurrected to life and that they would not be judged for their evil deeds. That's what they believed. Jesus is explaining to them very directly, he is explaining to them that he is the one who is going to be passing this judgment. And they did not yet believe, they did not yet believe that they were hopeless. They did not yet understand that they were a complete failure. They did not yet acknowledge that they had no hope outside of the mercy of God. And so technically, everyone is going to be judged for evil deeds. Everyone, because no one will do enough good deeds. There is only one exception to this, and that is when a person acknowledges that they have no hope outside of his mercy. When a person acknowledges that their good deeds will not be adequate, then they can receive the mercy of God. Then they can receive the forgiveness of God. Then they can receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit of God. Then they can be resurrected to life. They are resurrected to life now. And so the judgment for those will be very simple. Are you dead or are you alive? If you're alive, that is the judgment. You have a place in the kingdom of heaven. If you are dead... Well, then let's talk about your good deeds and your bad deeds. Let's talk about those. And it shouldn't be very long before a person acknowledges that they will not enter into the kingdom of heaven, that they will be judged and the judgment will be that they will not enter the kingdom of heaven, that they will have no place in eternity with the living God. That's what Jesus is explaining here. He is explaining to them that he is the one who's going to be making these decisions, that they may try to judge him concerning the Sabbath law, but he is passed out of death into life. He is the one who is alive. He is the one who gives life to people, and they are not going to receive it because they still want to be judged according to their good works. That's what they want, and so they're going to get it, and it's not going to be enough. And so they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That was his message. That was the core message that he presented throughout his ministry. It's very important to see this so that you understand that he did not say this so that we would try to do more good deeds than bad. He said this in order to put a person in a position where they would acknowledge that they had no hope outside of his grace and mercy. And when we see that, then we can receive it in John chapter five, verse 30 he said i can do nothing on my own initiative as i hear i judge and my judgment is just because i do not seek my own will but the will of him who sent me what about them they can only do those things according to their own initiative they can only judge on the basis of what they think is important because that is the nature of a dead person That's all that they had. Jesus sets himself apart from them. In verse 31, he says, if I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, this is a very important statement that he gives here to say that his testimony about himself is not adequate. If it was the only testimony about himself, then they could easily pass judgment on him and say that he was not who he claimed to be. This is where the Lord Jesus goes. He heals the man of the pool of Bethesda so that he can come to this point. He can come to this point where he is in the temple. He has the attention of the people in the temple. And he tells them flat out that his testimony is not enough. That's what he says. He makes it very clear that regardless of everything that he has to say, all that he has to say, even though it is totally true, it is not enough. Why does he say that? He says that because he established the reality that when we are in this world and truth has to be determined and defined, there needs to be more than one witness. And he follows through with that and he explains very simply that he has witnesses. He has witnesses then he is not just here to testify about himself. That he has witnesses that he can call on. Now, why would this be so critical and so important in this situation? Because the only reason why he is in this situation is because they're trying to persecute him. That's why he's in this situation. They are trying to persecute him for healing the man on the Sabbath day, and so he is here in the temple, and he has an opportunity to defend himself against their persecution, against their accusations. And he uses the fact that they have no witnesses. They have no witnesses that he performed this healing. His testimony alone is not enough. The testimony of the man who he healed is not enough. First of all, according to the laws of the Sanhedrin, a person could not be convicted or condemned on the basis of their words. A person could not be judged and punished, convicted, condemned, because they admitted, because they claimed or because they testified that they committed a violation of any of the laws. That was a law of the Sanhedrin. It was a very important law. I explained this in the series of programs that I did on the trial of Jesus, where they violated over 20 of their own laws when Jesus was convicted before the Sanhedrin. But this was a very important law, that a person could not be convicted because of their own testimony, that a person could not be a witness against themselves. They needed two or more witnesses. That's what they needed. And they only had one. Who was the witness? The witness was the man who was healed. And as I explained in the previous program, this is a very interesting situation, that Jesus set this man free from his disability. He healed this man. And this man put himself in a position where he would be a witness against Jesus, the man who healed him, that this man would allow himself to be put in a situation where he would testify against someone of a crime worthy of death. I find that very interesting to see and very important to mention because it puts this situation in a much better context to understand that this man may not have really wanted to be healed and Jesus healed him anyway things like that I mentioned in the previous program. In this program, what I want to emphasize is the fact that Jesus not only used the life and death issue to communicate very important truths to these people, but he also uses the issue of witnesses as a means of communicating with these people, as a means of confronting these people with his messianic claims. He not only has two witnesses, He has three witnesses, and not only does he have three witnesses, but he's actually got four witnesses. In the law, it says that all truth must be established through the testimony of two or three witnesses. Two are definitely required. Three are helpful as a means of further asserting the truth that was communicated and established by the first two, but Jesus has four. He presents four witnesses right here, Right now, in the temple, before all the people, to testify of his messianic claims, he presents four witnesses. The first witness that he's going to present is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who was the one who testified that Jesus was the Messiah. They considered him to be a prophet. They considered John the Baptist to be someone who was sent by God. His works, Jesus' works, are also going to be a witness on his behalf. And the one who performed the works within and through him is God the Father. God the Father is going to be a witness on his behalf to testify that he is who he claims to be. And the fourth witness is the Scriptures. The Scriptures themselves will testify on his behalf that he is the Messiah. But who is going to testify against them? The one who wrote the scriptures, Moses. Jesus refers to Moses as the one who will testify against them. So he has four witnesses who will testify on his behalf, and he also has a witness who will testify against them that they failed to believe the scriptures, that they failed to believe God the Father, that they also failed to believe in the works that were manifested by God the Father through His Son, the Lord Jesus, and also that they failed to live in obedience as they claimed that they had lived. And so there will be a witness against them, Moses, and their works, or at least their failure to work as they should have, will also be a witness against them. And so Jesus will have His witnesses to judge them when they do not have witnesses to judge Him. And I will continue in the next broadcast.
0: You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.